Welcome to Jaipur Bites. I'm your host, Laksh Datta. This episode is a live session from day four of Jaipur Lit Fest 2023. And it's called The Magician of Mazda, the Bharat series. Ashwin Sanghi in conversation with Manjari Prabhu. Good afternoon, Ashwin. Good afternoon, Manjiri, and good afternoon, everyone. Hope you all are doing well. Well, that was a thrilling thriller. <laughs> it gave me goosebumps. Did it give you goosebumps? Yeah, I know. Before I begin my conversation with Ashwin as an author, I want to say something, Ashwin. We're talking about the magicians of Mazda. This is the book. But I want to also talk about Ashwin the magician. You know, I've known Ashwin for 10 years almost, right yeah. since yeah, 2013. I haven't met a more compassionate, sensitive, kind human being than him. And in today's age, that's being a magician. Thank you so much, Manjari. I, you know, the, the, I, I have always believed in my life yeah. that it's, um, and now it's my 15th year in the world of literary pursuit. Uh, came f- with no no credentials whatsoever in the world of literature or creative writing or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, the success has felt wonderful. Uh, I never, if you had asked me 15 years ago that would I have read, fif- uh, would I have written 15 odd books and would my name be on the cover of 2 million copies, uh, I would have told you, you've got to be joking. But the one thing that I have realized is that it is nice to be important, but it's also very important to be nice. Absolutely. And I think, well I think said. to be able to keep your feet on the ground and to understand that every word that has been written by you on that piece of paper yeah. is not your own word, that it is a big, big blessing from Ma Saraswati and to understand that it can, it can take two minutes for Ma to get upset with you. And then the entire flow will be disrupted. So I think this is very, very important for any, any writer, anyone who is in the creative space, to keep those creative, to let the creative muse do what it is supposed to do. Yes, absolutely. And you're doing it very well. I have to say that. Uh, so this book, I've been reading it, uh, Ashwin, and. Uh, what came to my mind when I read it, it's a fascinating book, okay? It's fascinating with uh, tons of research, mesmerizing research. I felt it was like an unabashed storytelling of a seasoned author. You were so confident of your readers. I mean, it's, an, it's a very charming book in the sense, and I'm not talking about the thrills, I'm saying such a well-balanced book where you've uh, there's reflection, it's reflective, it's thrilling, there are drones and guns, of course, in it. But there's so much to take away from the book. Before we talk about this book, I want to ask you about your Bharat series, Bharat series, which, which this book is a part of. So let's start from there. Tell us about your Bharat series, and then you tell us about this book. How did you conceive it? Where did it come from? What was the inspiration and everything with it? Uh, actually, Manjiri, it did not start as a series. 
the very first book, in fact, if you notice, all the books basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, play on, uh, uh, play on, for example, Chanakya's chant, Krishna Ki, Sialkot Saga. So, you know, that, that element is there in all the titles, but not with the first. The Rosabal line uh, d doesn't have that pattern. Uh, so, that first book was not written with the intention that there would be a series. But what I did realize uh, as I went along, when I went from the first book to the second book, uh, I realized that there is a thread that ties a lot of our stories. And many of those stories are out of public view. We don't understand the fact when people talk about Bharat, uh, my understanding of Bharat is slightly different uh, to the geographical entity. Uh, I know that there is this term which is these days uh, rather political, which we consider to be Akhand Bharat. But my, uh, a month or two months ago, I wrote an op-ed in the Times where I spoke about Maha Akhand Bharat, which is in the sense that if you really look at the arc of civilization and the vital role that Bharat played uh, I mean, why did you land up with these magnificent temples like Angkor Wat in Cambodia? Or why do you have uh, a Ganesh ji on a currency note in Indonesia? Or why do you have a Ramayana still being performed in Malaysia? Or why do you have uh, so many linkages with, let us say, Iran? or Turkey? Uh, why do you have ancient treaties which invoke uh, from cent Central Asia and Europe uh, that invoke uh, gods like Varun and Indra? So this arc of civilization was very, very wide. And um, so if you see, for example, a book like The Vault of Vishnu, uh, most of the story is a China story. But uh, we have to keep in mind that even for a place like China, the vast majority of its culture came with the advent of Buddhism. And who brought Buddhism into China? It was two monks who landed up on a white-colored horse carrying the texts uh, into a temple which eventually came to be known as the White Horse Temple. Uh, or, for example, the fact that uh, there was a monk called Bodhidharma who traveled from uh, the ancient Pallava kingdom into, uh, into China and then eventually sought admission at the Shaolin Monastery, where he taught them a version of Kalari Payatu and Silambam and uh, Zen uh, meditation, and which eventually evolved into something that the, the world now knows as Kung Fu. So the point I'm making is that I wanted to explore all of these stories, that where has Bharat had a role to play uh, over the thousands of years, this expanse, and to somehow or the other be able to draw those connections. A lot of people say that, Ashwin, you're interested in mythology. You know better than me that myth is just one part of it. I'm interested more in the overlaps. Where is the possibility that there is an overlap between mythology and history? Where is the possibility of overlap between philosophy and science? Where is the possibility of an overlap between geography and linguistics? All of those elements. But the one thing that is common is Bharat. So was it not called the Bharat series from the beginning? From the it wasn't. It wasn't. And so it was actually when the third book came out, the Krishna Key. 
okay. that the previous books were rebranded as Bharat series. Okay, wonderful. So, you know, when I was reading, I mean, we saw it in the teaser as well, that the canvas of the book is worldscape, okay? I'm going to just read this. I mean, we saw it already, but uh, from the blurb, I'm going to read this. From the ancient ruins of Persepolis to the Taliban camps of Afghanistan, from the womb of a Udwada fire temple to the icy mountains of Kashmir, from the dreadful coffin cells of Tehran to the deathly calm of Dew's Tower of Silence. I mean, the sheer variety of the geography, culture, regions, history. I'm just thinking of the research you must have undertaken and what did it entail? I'm, I, sleepless nights, long, long journeys into the unknown? The, you know, luckily, I am able to write my books on the shoulders, standing on the shoulders of many, many stalwarts who've already done the basic research. I can see my dear friend Sanjeev Sanyal standing here. And had it not been for his book on the Indian Ocean, probably uh, a book like The Vault of Vishnu would have been very difficult to write. Uh, and there are many, many examples that I can quote of people whose, uh, whose primary research has helped me a lot. But the, the truth is that, uh, Manjari, I would say that for me, every book, uh, I enjoy that process of going through that research. So it's not as simple as simply just going on Google or Wikipedia. It doesn't work like that. Those can be great starting points. Um, the other day I was uh, uh, talking to my son who is 19 years old and he was busy getting the computer, the chat GPT to write his essay. So, I mean, nowadays you can pretty much get a lot of things, uh, but then where is the romance? Where? What, what are you trying to achieve uh, with, with, with a story? I, I'm one of those who's always believed that the journey is more important than the destination. So you may start with Google or Wiki or ChatGPT or what have you, but then eventually it should lead you to deeper and deeper layers of research. Uh, so for example, and the nature of the research will vary according to the story you are writing. So for example, if I, if I look at a book like Chanakya's Chant, uh, I, I did not have to do much research except for reading the Mudra Rakshas and reading the Arthashastra. And, but, but I read them multiple times in order to be able to pick out the bits that worked well for my story. And that's the great advantage of being a fiction writer. You know, I mean, uh, that, that, I remember when I'd written my first novel, The Rosabal Line, some press and media young, young man, he asked me, he says, you have an MBA in finance, you have no qualifications in literature, and you're suddenly writing a book on mythology and theology and history. What qualification you have? And I said, during my years when I was growing up as a kid, my mother used to say that Ashwin is the best liar in the world. So he's such a good liar, he says it with a straight face. So as storytellers, we know that we are lying. But ultimately, what you want to do is tell the lie as close to the truth as possible so that then that lie becomes that much more believable. And that's what I do with my fiction. But what is it that makes a lie believable? The lie becomes believable through research. Uh, so for example, Chanakya's chant was Mutra Rakshas. Uh, but by the time I went into writing the Krishna key, 
uh, it was visiting places like Dwarka, Bet Dwarka, Mathura, Vrindavan, uh, the entire Krishna circuit as it were. Uh, when I was writing uh, the Sialkot saga, it was talking to people who had lived through the last 70 years of post-independence India in order to be able to pick up the nuances of what had happened, because that is something that you can't get from history books. What was life in, let's say, 1965 Kolkata, Calcutta at that time? So, uh, or for example, Walter Vishnu ended up taking me twice into China. Uh, this Magicians of Mazda ended up taking me into Udwada and Diu uh, and uh, Surat and Navzari. Uh, I was supposed to go to Iran, but that Iran unfortunately happened during COVID. So we had to find other substitutes. So you've actually gone to all these places that you've talked about? Except Iran. Okay. Uh, because it unfortunately my entire schedule got disrupted by the COVID uh, lockdown. But otherwise, uh, uh, all, but nowadays again, the other part of it is that today we are living in a time where it's so easy to be able to even do things which you could never have dreamed of doing five or seven years ago. I mean, taking, for example, a walkthrough tour of Persepolis in 3D, uh, virtually, uh, is possible today. You don't need to go to Persepolis. Uh, so there are multiple things like that. Uh, talking to people, uh, interviewing people, and of course, reading books. Uh, I have always loved reading, been a voracious reader, but typically when I'm writing a book in the Bharat series, I will end up reading at least maybe 20, 30, 40 odd titles. Some of them I'll skim through, some of them I will read in great detail. Uh, but it's only after my entire bedrock of research is ready. That's the time when I will actually sit down to start writing the first word. Yeah, that naturally brings me to your writing process. I've heard, Ashwin, that, uh, I mean, I've heard this say, I'm not sure it's true, but you can correct me now, that you use some kind of an Excel sheet or some software to do this. Is that right? Do you do it, do it that way? And, and let me complete the question. How long does it take for your entire process? How much does it take for you to bring one book out? What so is let's, it like? let's just go back to the Magicians of Mazda. Okay. So the Magicians of Mazda took about roughly uh, a little over 10 months worth of research. Uh, and uh, that included, for example, visits to various places. It included the interviews. It included the reading material, and so on and so forth. Uh, once I was done with that, then I move into the second phase, which is typically in terms of the plot. Um, I can see a lot of familiar faces, the, the ones who have met me at JLF before. And uh, they are aware of the fact that at the initial time when I'm plotting, I will normally work with Excel. Uh, and uh, I'll try and actually uh, put every chapter into one row of my spreadsheet. So uh, typically, it will be what is the chapter number, what happens in that particular chapter, who is the primary character, um, and where do I leave you in that particular chapter? So what is the hook on which I leave you? so that you are propelled into your next chapter. Uh, my effort always has been that, can I somehow or the other put you in a situation where I compel you to turn your page? Uh, you, know, you know as a thriller writer yourself how difficult it is to get a reader to turn the page. 
It's very easy that your reader may give up 10% or 20% into the book, and then you've lost him or her, uh, because the chances of them coming back to it are very, very slim. So uh, I will typically work on that uh, plot line. And if I look at the word count of that, it will probably be somewhere between eight and 10,000 words, uh, where every twist, every turn, in the story has already been plotted. So that means before you write the book, you know how it's going to look on paper in Absolutely. that Excel sheet. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, typically, I also know what is which character is going to live till the end of the book, uh, which character will die halfway through the book, which character will will be such that you think that he or she is dead, but they re-emerge later. Or yeah, that's what, what I was going to ask. Do the characters surprise you? I mean, does your Excel yeah. sheet go for a so, toss ever? So, <laughs> it, so ever? it has happened. Yeah. Typically, whenever I was writing my books along with James Patterson, uh, they used to happen. Uh, it used to happen quite frequently because he would look at the plot outline and he would say, no, no, this person dies in chapter 10. We need to make him die in chapter 1. Oh uh, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have a dead body here. We need a dead body there oh or, you know, whatever. So, uh, so by the time I'm done with the Excel sheet, that's typically two or three months. Uh, that's when I will start writing. I use a, uh, a novel writing software, which is known as Scribd. Uh, which allows me to then take my Excel sheet uh, summaries and put them into index cards uh, on script. So it's like the old bulletin board fashion where you have your index cards for your chapter. And then within the index cards, I'll actually write up each chapter. Uh, I always work with chapters which are scenes. So you won't have double scenes in a chapter. Uh, so if you and I are sitting on stage and both of us have to collapse because this water has been poisoned, yeah. then that's the only scene that will be there in that chapter. Wow. Okay. So, and then uh, once I'm done with that, th that entire process can be about six months. Once I'm done with that process, then I get into the next stage, which is rewrites. And uh, I always believe that uh, the first draft is nowhere close to your fifth or sixth. So you have to, you know, uh, ultimately, um, uh, what has stood me in good stead is the rewrites. How many rewrites do you do? How many, how many drafts do you have? So typically at least three, uh, maybe even five. Uh, and in spite of that, uh, my editor still will have a hundred other issues. Uh, which will still require me to go b go back and do rework, uh, but that's that's the process of you know ultimately you can have a great a wonderful diamond a rock, but ultimately the polishing and the facets will appear with a lot of labor. But for you, what comes first? Is it character? Is it a plot idea? Do you go somewhere and say, hey, I would like to involve this in a book? Where does your inspiration come from? Where are the ideas coming from? So it depends. Like, for example, uh, the Rosabal line happened from a chance visit to, uh, I was in Srinagar sometime around 2002, 2003. Uh, I had a day extra available to me because my flight had got canceled told the driver to take me to this. Uh, actually, I didn't even point him in that direction. I said, take me to an interesting place. He said, Saab, aap Hazrat Bal jayenge. I said, nahi, Hazrat Bal dekh chuka hun. He said, Chashma Shahi chalte hain. I said, no, dekh chuka hun. Because I had been to Srinagar many times. 
एंड ही सेट आप रोजा बल गए कि नहीं सो आई सेट मैंने तो सुना नहीं है सो वी वेंट देयर एंड देन आई रियलाइज दैट दिस इज अ टूम विच हैज स्टूड देयर फॉर टू थाउजेंड ईयर्स एंड द फोकलोर अराउंड इट इज दैट देर इज देर इज अ मुस्लिम पीर हु इज बेरिड फ्रॉम द थर्टीन फोर्टीन सेंचुरी बट देर इज एन अर्लियर बेरियल अंडर द मुस्लिम पीर विच गोज बैक टू अंड्रेड एंड ट्वेल्व एडी एंड दैट इज अ बेरियल विच इज नॉट इन इस्लामिक डायरेक्शन अलॉन्ग द इस्लामिक एक्सेस विच इज नॉर्थ साउथ और विद द हेड पॉइंटिंग टूवर्ड्स बेकअप बट एक्चुअली इन एन ईस्ट वेस्ट एंड आउटसाइड द टूम देर इज अ देर इज ए काविंग विच शोज अ पेयर ऑफ ह्यूमन फीट विच इंडिकेट्स वेर द क्रॉस मार्क्स फॉर अ क्रूसिफिक्शन वुड हैव बीन हैमर्ड एंड सो you know there are people who say that listen you know we as writers go out looking for stories very often it's stories that are coming looking for us so uh, i was obsessed by that story i had no intention of writing it i uh, just spent the next year and a half reading everything that i could about it talking to people who knew more about it than me and then it eventually resulted in a story Chanakya's chant was inspired by a, uh, a an airport situation where uh, must have been 2009 when uh, the second UPA government came in and it was taking a lot of time for cabinet formation and I wondered whether politics was always messy and I said let's answer that question when we say the good old days were the good old days really good uh or the krishna key was inspired by someone who met me at a cocktail party and was utterly sozzled and he claimed to be the final avatar of vishnu um and um i i took him seriously because i was also four whiskies down so we but the next morning i wondered whether whether i had imagined that conversation and then i ended up calling up uh, this scholarly gentleman who's based out of chandigarh who's helped me on translations of sanskrit etc i said i i need to find out more about the kalki puran and he said no i have a translation i'll send it to you and that's how the krishna key was born so i think every story will have a genesis there will always be some trigger that will get you to write that story Yes, absolutely. Inspiration can come from anywhere, anywhere. and destination can lead you anywhere. And, yeah. But the important thing is to remain open yes. to, to those ideas when they come. Right. And the other thing is that it's not every idea that is going to re result in a story or a novel. So it's very important to capture those ideas when they emerge. Absolutely, yeah. Because then you can go back to those ideas and you can say, okay, now two years ago this idea didn't work, but maybe it could work now. wonderful so coming back to this book and when i was reading it i realized that uh, there's so much non fiction in the book ashwin you know and and there are two sections to it one is the thriller which is you'll understand when you read it that there's uh, the thriller story going on one side and there's a lot of non fiction which is introduced about the parsi community okay and uh, i realized that the non fiction is very powerful so i have two questions on this number one is the blurring between fact and fiction is so beautifully and seamlessly done so how do you do it that's number 1 and number 2 does the non fiction get so overpowering that you can't contain it in your outline of fiction how do you control that yeah no it's 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 difficult because uh, the the reality is that somewhere along the way when you do research when you do genuine original research um uh, 
you fall in love with that research. Uh, and then you somehow get very excited that, oh, dekho, main ye bhi tumko batana hu. and I also want to say this. And in the process somewhere, you end up compromising the flow of your story because you're trying to offer too much. So you'll be surprised, for example, with the magicians of Mazda, uh, I knew that once I started writing it, I knew that it will probably end at about 120,000 odd words. So 1.2 lakhs. And I had to consciously work on the fact that I'm not going to allow the historical element to go more than 20 or 25,000 words. So that the bulk of the book would still be the modern day thriller story. See, think about this, really. Uh, I have always believed that with the Bharat series books, what I am trying to do is I am trying to deliver to you what I call the three E's. Uh, the first E is entertain. Because if I cannot entertain you, Manjiri, you will not turn the page. So I cannot compromise on the entertainment factor. And that has to be 70% of the book. Um, when I do so much of research, there is a possibility that I'm introducing you to material that you didn't know earlier. That is what I consider to be the element of educate. But that cannot be more than 20%. Uh, because the moment it goes beyond 20%, then you will begin to feel that I'm preaching to you. And that doesn't feel get, uh, good as far as a thriller is concerned. So 70% entertain, 20% educate, and then by the time you reach the last four or five chapters, I hope that all the pieces of the puzzle will start falling together. And that maybe by the second last or the last chapter, you'll have that bhatti on moment where it's suddenly, oh, why didn't I think of this? It's that aha moment. And that aha moment, I consider it as the moment of enlightenment, which is when you start thinking of things in a different way. So which is what I'm trying to give you, that, that, that final moment where you say, wow, this is, this is what I was working towards. So it's 70, 20, 10. Entertain, educate, enlighten. And that's all that I want to do. Yeah, but how do you do it? They, <laughs> that's they, the most difficult they, part. Man, man, you know, I... I have always said that don't think of it as writing. It's not writing. There are dime a dozen great writers. For that, for great writing, don't read Ashwin Sanghi. Uh, you, can, you can use your time far more in a far more worthwhile manner if you want to read good writing. Uh, there are probably, within this location, probably a thousand better writers than me. Read me if you want a story. So there is a difference between writing and storytelling. And all I want to do is to be a storyteller. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, there is this, uh, uh, the, the Hollywood uh, director, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, uh, he said that the length of a movie uh, is related to the endurance of the human bladder. So you can only sit for the movie till the time that your bladder will hold out. Uh, now think of this, that you are sitting in a room, 
and there are 10 people sitting in a circle around you and you're telling them a kahani. You have become a kahani car and you want them to hang on to your every word. And now in that group of 10 people, there are three people who want to get up and take a bathroom break. But your storytelling is so fascinating that they don't get up to take that bathroom break. So the golden rule is that can you achieve that, at least in your mind? So when I'm writing, I'm not writing. I am thinking of myself in that room telling a story. And with every novel, what I imagine is that I'm not telling you only one story. Let's say, for example, a book like the Sialkot Saga is 150 chapters. And I have actually narrated to you 150 short stories, but every short story is connected to the other. So it's as simple as that. Amazing. The, but Ashwin, I think I have to just butt in here and say you've been very unfair to yourself. I think you're a brilliant writer because it's not just, you know, plots. I, I'm going to say this on behalf of him and me and all the mystery writers in the world that mystery writing is one of the most difficult, you know, books to achieve because it's, there's a craft in it and that requires craftiness because you need to fool, you know, the reader oh, yeah. right till the end and, you know, still make them happy in the end. And that's not easy. Okay. So please don't underplay yourself. I think you're a brilliant writer. And, and considering Thank this, you. yes, absolutely. This book is really fascinating. It's got so many takeaways, so many. I mean, when I was reading this, I had many aha moments, many of them. Okay. And I said, wow, Ashwin, uh, you know, hats off to you. Thank you. Yes. So uh, what I want to ask you is for me, there were, like I said, many takeaways. I learned about the Parsi community. Uh, I learned about all the aha moments. I learned about, you know, guns and drones and Iran and lots of things for you. You know, when you wrote this book, I know you wrote it as a storyteller and you want to entertain, but there must be something in your mind that you felt that the reader should take away from this. What do you think is the biggest takeaway? You know, Manjiri, we are living in exceedingly polarized times. And of course, uh, it's easy to say, oh, we are polarized now and we weren't polarized earlier. No, we've always had our own various issues to be polarized on. Uh, but the one thing that I see as a common thread is that it is very easy to take your eye of the big picture of civilization. I mean, today, if you really think about it, in one thing that we can be tremendously proud of in this country is despite the massive number of assaults that happened on Bharat, Bharat continues to survive. Right? And when we talk of Sanatan Dharma, uh, the assaults were many, many. And just look around you. Today, what happened to the Mithraic cults of Rome? Where are they today? Uh, Zoroastrianism was the state religion during the Sasanian Empire. Uh, today, you, you barely have maybe something in the order of about 28,000 uh, Zoroast Zoroastrians left in Iran who still have to actually in some ways remain below the radar 
because otherwise they can get into trouble. Uh, what happened to uh, uh, Osiris, Isis, Horus of the Egyptians? Uh, what happened to all the Greek deities? Uh, what happened to the aboriginal belief systems of Australia? So those civilizations which did not keep their eye on their civilization, they eventually got wiped out. And it's obviously telling that till today, we are still very much around, which means that we did not take our eye off the ball. And my effort in writing this book is to tell you, don't take your eye off the ball. It's very important. We owe it to our ancestors and we owe it to our children and our children's children to not take the eye off the ball, to preserve this. Absolutely. It's an eye-opener and we need to be aware and conscious of what's happening around us. Before I open it to the public, there's one last question. I was going through all your Amazon reviews for this book and there was one very interesting uh, you know, mention there. One of the Amazon reviewers says, I wonder how Ashwin Sanghi manages to think up the stories that he does. What wouldn't I do to get inside his head? So, oh, that's a scary uh, so thought, yes, yeah. so obviously my question is, what does go on in your head? What are you cooking next? It depends whether it's whiskey time, coffee time, cigar time. I don't know. <laughs> okay. The thoughts are very different during different times. <laughs> All right. But you don't want to reveal what you're writing next? Oh, uh, I can tell you, Manjari, but yeah. I'd have to kill you. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to take the risk. Uh, no, the, the, what I can tell you is two things. Uh, that uh, number one, uh, my Bharat series, seven books have come in the Bharat series, the eighth book in the Bharat series. And by the way, for those who are uninitiated, the series word is a bit of a misnomer because each book within the series is independent and can be read independently. Uh, so the eighth book in the series will come out in 2024. Uh, so normally there is a gap of two years between every book in the Bharat series. Uh, the little change that has now happened is that uh, I had written two out and out crime thriller novels along with James Patterson. And uh, now I have decided that I'm also going to build on that uh, particular space. So in 2023, I will also give you a crime thriller, uh, in, uh, which, which is not part of the Bharat series. Uh, and, uh, uh, yep, uh, the effort is going to be, at least as far as the Bharat series is concerned, to continue giving you a novel every two years till I die. Fantastic. That's going to be a lot, many books. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jepper Bites. I'm your host, Lakshdatta. This podcast is produced by Launchora in association with Teamwork Arts. Please follow or subscribe to this show wherever you're listening to this to be notified about new episodes.